what John 3.16 says is, for God so loved that he gave, right? God so loved the world that he gave his only son. He didn't hate the world. God isn't looking at the world and, and saying, man, I, I just need to get rid of the bad people. If I could just get rid of the bad people, it'd all be good, right? He's not, he's not like uh, these characters a lot of times that we see in superhero movies like Ultron who, who computes real quickly, uh, you know, what really needs to happen in the world. We got to get rid of human beings because they're the problem in the world. Uh, there's a show called Death Note and the main character is able to put to death anyone he wants. And so he starts putting to death all the bad people, all the criminals, right? But God is not like that. God is not like that at all. Because if he was, he could do it. If, if God wanted to make the world better by getting rid of bad people, he could do it. If God wanted to make the world better by just destroying ungodly institutions, he could do it. But God doesn't hate the world. God loves the world. So he gives us his son, that whoever would believe in him would not perish, but have um, eternal life. And what, what's really interesting about that is that it doesn't say God, uh, God gave his son so that we could make, have an eternal decision made, so that we could get a ticket to heaven. It says, so that we could have eternal life. And the way you have a new life, the way you get an eternal life is very similar to the way you get, got your, your first life. You have to be born into it. And so right away, we see that the way God wants to do this is he wants us to believe in him so that we can be born into eternal life. This is a, a life to be lived, not a decision to be made. This is a life to be lived, not right answers. This is something that we live in. So when Nicodemus, so when, when Nicodemus comes to Jesus, what does he say? Jesus says to Nicodemus, you must be born again. And when God so loved the world, and he gave his only son, how did he give him? He was born. He was born into the world. Have you ever just really just stopped and pondered and thought about that? The way God did it, the way God loved the world, was he gave his son, not as a fully formed Superman with a cape on, flying down from heaven to fix everything, but born, born defenseless, born dependent on his parents, born teachable. Jesus had to learn to walk. Jesus had to learn to eat. Jesus had to learn to read. And born in a specific time, in a specific context, in a specific culture. Jesus grew up. There were people that knew him. He was Joshua, which is the word for Jesus, 
um, in the Bible. He was Joshua from Nazareth. He was the boy next door. He was the guy that built uh, your awning. He was the guy whose dad was Joseph. He was a real person in a real place at a real time. When God loved the world, he gave his only son and he gave him by having him be born just like you and I am. You know, when we think about how we do missions, when we think about how we bring God's kingdom, you know, when we think about how we reach a community, it's really important that we look at how God first did it and, and get some clues about it. And it's very interesting that when God loved the world and he gave his only son, he had him birth in a specific time, a specific place, a specific culture to specific parents in a specific family. So when Nicodemus comes at night to Jesus, he comes because this guy has come out of nowhere. This guy didn't go to seminary. This guy hadn't matriculated through the process of becoming a rabbi. He just showed up in the temple one day. And Nicodemus sees him. And it, it's very similar to Spider-Man. It's very similar to, to Captain Rogers, right? All of a sudden, this guy out of nowhere shows up, and he seems to have superpowers. He's able to teach better than anybody else. He walks into the temple. It, it would be like if you had all the greatest teachers in the world, you know, Charles Stanley, T.D. Jakes, uh, uh, Jason Lalone, whoever you like, whoever you in your mind is the greatest teacher bible teacher that you listen to tony evans jd greer who who is it for you i don't know imagine them all in this temple and here comes a guy no one's ever heard about and he starts teaching and you're nicodemus and you're watching it and they're all like wow i never i never thought of it like that way but you're right the bible says he taught as one who had authority he was blowing them away. But he wasn't only teaching, he was also doing miracles. So here comes a man out of nowhere with superpowers. He's teaching like no one's ever taught. He's healing people like no one's ever done it. And he also starts flipping tables. He comes into the temple and that thing, you always wonder, why does the church do that? That doesn't make sense. It doesn't look like what I read in the Bible. Why do we do it this way? This seems wrong, but who's going to change it? Jesus comes in and he changes it. He starts flipping the flipping tables. He says, get out of here, you robbers. This is supposed to be a house of prayer. You made it transactional. This is supposed to be a place where people meet God. Not where they pay money and go shopping. They're supposed to encounter God here. It was like Jesus looked at the Roman Empire that was outside the temple and said, I'm not going to attack the Roman Empire out there. I'm going to attack the Roman Empire that's in the heart of God's people. I'm going to get it out of the place where they're supposed to meet God. And so Nicodemus sees that and he's like, this guy has something. This guy has superpowers. And he comes to him and Jesus says, Nicodemus, don't you understand? If you want to have these superpowers, you need to be born again. You see, this is how Jesus is different than Spider-Man. This is how Jesus is different than the Incredible Hulk. How Jesus is different than Captain America. 
Because Jesus doesn't say this power is only for me. He says this power is for all the world. It's for everybody. Everybody can have this. And so he explains to Nicodemus, hey man, this is the project. This is how it's going to happen. God is not coming to destroy the world. He's coming to rebirth the world. This is a born again project. God wants it all born again. You, the Romans, the Samaritans, the rich, the poor, the economy, the politics, the culture, the world is to be born again. And John really marches us through Jesus' strategy to do this. He's, it's, it's, it's actually a really well thought out strategy. In chapter 2, we see who does Jesus reach. He reaches the spiritually hungry Galileans, the guys that grew up in his neighborhood who are spiritually hungry. He goes to them and makes them his disciples. Nathaniel, Philip, Andrew, Peter. And he says, hey, come follow me. And so he takes them up to Cana in Galilee, really close to his hometown where he lived. And he turns water into wine. Now, this is very significant. In fact, what the Bible says when he turns water to wine, it says this is the first sign he did in Galilee. And wine was symbolic in the Old Testament, in the Law and the Prophets. In Isaiah chapter 5, I don't know if Jonathan can quickly bring this up. I didn't even warn him about this. But in Isaiah chapter 5, this is what God said. Let me just read this to you guys. I will sing for the one I love a song about his vineyard. My loved one had a vineyard on a fertile hillside. He dug it up and cleared it of stones and planted it with the choicest vines. He built a watchtower in it and cut out a wine press as well. Then he looked for a crop of good grapes, but it yielded only bad fruit. Now you dwellers in Jerusalem and people of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What more could have been done for my vineyard than what I have done for it? When I looked for good grapes, why did it yield only bad? Now I will tell you what I'm going to do to my vineyard. I will take away its hedge, and it will be destroyed. I will break down its wall, and it will be trampled. I will make it a wasteland, neither pruned nor cultivated, and briars and thorns will grow there. I will command the clouds not to rain on it. The vineyard of the Lord Almighty is the nation of Israel, and the people of Judah are the vines he delighted in. And he looked for justice, but saw bloodshed, for righteousness, but heard cries of distress. And so when Jesus is talking about, when, when Jesus is turning water into wine, when, when the best wine comes at the end of the feast, when it was supposed to come at the beginning, Jesus is hearkening back to the prophets who were crying out for justice. And this hits the Galileans where they live because most Galileans couldn't afford their own land. They couldn't afford to even have access to the um, lake to fish in unless they paid taxes. You know, and if you live on a fixed income and you have to pay taxes, 
what comes first? The taxes come first, and then eating comes second. And this is where the Galileans lived. And Jesus knew that because that's where he grew up. He was with his parents when they paid the poor person's tithe at the temple. He knew what it was to, to live in a neighborhood where people were hungry and where the system didn't work for them. And when he turns water into wine, he's saying, hey, guys, the new wine is coming. The justice is coming. God's economy is coming back. The way God wants it done is coming back. God wanted good fruit, and he's about to get it. But Jesus knew you can't put new wine in an old wineskin. If you're going to have new wine, if you're going to have good fruit, you need a new wineskin, the old wineskin, not to be destroyed but to be born again. This is a born again project, to take that which is old and change it into something new. Not destroy it, but make it something new. And so the next group of, the next person he goes and talks to is the people in the temple. The, he turns the water to the wine and then he heads to Jerusalem. He heads to seminary. He heads to where the religious leaders hang out. Um, uh, Colorado Springs, Grand Rapids, the Bible Belt, uh, Moody Bible Institute, Trinity. He heads to seminary and he finds a guy named Nicodemus and he tells him, you must be born again. You see, Jesus has got a plan, right? Because what good is it having God's rules and God's justice system in place if you don't have people who are running it who will obey them. And they're not going to obey unless they believe, and they're not going to believe unless they've been born again. And so you see Jesus first goes to the poor, the Galileans, the people that he knows, the culture that he knows, and then he comes to Jerusalem and he gets Nicodemus. And then he heads out again, and this time he, he stops in Samaria. And he hangs out with a Samaritan woman, and once again, he does the same thing. It's the inside-out ministry. He sits down with her, and he deals with her heart issue. You're looking for living water in a man. You're looking for living water in relationships. But if you knew who you were talking to, you would let me give you living water. And she's born again. And she goes back to her village and, and, and just think about the power of a born again person. That's why born again people, newly born again people are usually our best evangelists, right? Because if you meet Captain America after he's become Captain America, oh, he's Captain America. But if you knew Steve Rogers when he was 5'2 and 89 pounds and got beat up all the time, and then you see him as Captain America, that makes you stop and take pause. And when this woman showed up in the village, they knew her reputation. They knew what she was like. And they saw that she had been changed. And so they came to check out Jesus. And then a whole village of Samaritans becomes born again. So what do we see? We, Jesus, we see Jesus is in the hood with the Galileans. Then he goes downtown to the seminary with the Judeans. And then he goes to the barrio. He goes and hangs out with the other ethnic group. And he brings them into the kingdom. And so we have these three different groups all born again. He's creating a new wineskin 
to pour the new wine into. And today, in the passage today that we're on today, we basically see Jesus go to Barrington, go to the North Shore. He, he goes to where the CEOs are hanging out. Let me read this uh, to you. John 4. So he came again to Cana in Galilee. This is verse 46, where he made the water wine. And at Capernaum, there was an official whose son was ill. And the translation for this official was he's a royal official. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his, his son, for he was at the point of death. So here we see a royal official. So Jesus has gone to the seminary, he's gone to the poor, he's gone to the barrio, and now we have the royal official show up. Now think about Jesus, think about his story, and think about what a royal official means to him. Because when Jesus was a baby, Herod, who was the royalty that this uh, official would have worked for, tried to have Jesus killed. And he, he wanted to make sure that he was very thorough. So he had every two-year-old and younger baby killed in Jerusalem, in Bethlehem. And then Herod died. And after Herod died, they split his kingdom amongst three sons. And one of these sons was Herod Antipas. And he's the guy that was this royal official would have worked for. And Antipas had uh, brutally put down a, an insurrection in a town called Sephoris, which was just a little outside of Cana. It would have been like uh, us going down to, you know, the south side. And, and, and what had happened is this guerrilla group had risen up and done a rebellion. Now, look, guys, nobody, nobody takes on the Roman Empire and really thinks they're going to win. Nobody's going to risk that if the system was working for them. All right. So that's a clue right there that there was an insurrection when Jesus was younger that, that rose up against the Roman Empire. That's a, that's a, <laughs> that's a, a good sign that the economic system was not working very well for the Galileans. And what Herod did is he had just stomped. He'd stomped this insurrection down. He burned the town to the ground and then sold all its residents into slavery. And Jesus knew this story well because Jesus probably, with his dad, rebuilt that town as a carpenter. And so this is the guy the guy who works for Herod shows up at the Bible study. It's like you're in Afghanistan and the, the guy who works for Osama bin Laden shows up at your church plant, right? He comes and I'm sure the disciples are like, what is Jesus going to do with this guy? Can a royal official be born again? Can, the, can the, the enemy be born again? How is Jesus going to deal with him? And of course, the answer is going to be yes. But what's really interesting here is Jesus is about to take the whole born-again movement in a, up to another level. Let, let's read what happens here. So he came again to Cana in Galilee where he made water, the water into wine. And at Capernaum, there was an official whose son was ill, royal official. 
When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. Now, verse 47 says, when this man heard that Jesus had come. When he heard. You see, up until now, what we kept seeing with all the miracles of Jesus was everyone who was with Jesus to this point had seen and believed. The disciples had oh, seen. Yeah, he heard. Exactly. The disciples had seen the supernatural power of God, and so they believed. Nicodemus had seen the supernatural power of God. He was thinking maybe he believed. The Samaritan woman had Jesus tell her all her business, stuff that he should have known about her, and so she believed. But this royal official, he's the first guy in the book of John that hasn't seen, but has heard. Jesus has been hanging out with the Jews and the Samaritans. He hasn't been hanging out with the Romans. He hasn't been hanging out with royalty. He starts with the poor and the rich hear about it. And here's the deal. This rich man with all his power and all his privilege and all his position is still in a place of crisis because his son is sick and he knows his son is about to die. And I think God has this guy right where he wants him. Guys, I, I think you might, some, somebody today might be in that situation. You are in a crisis right now. You have no idea how you're going to get out of it. You have no idea how this is going to work out. And it's very possible that is purposely happening in your life right now. And so here's this royal official, and he's no longer a royal official in the story. You gotta go walk this out. You gotta take this first step of faith. And so Jesus sends him, and the journey is 17 miles. And with just this one word from Jesus, this one command, this new believer takes his first baby step. Guys, if we're going to birth the kingdom of God in Rogers Park, in Chicago, we're going to need to learn to walk. And we're going to need to learn to walk not by what we can see, not by what we can understand, but by what God says and what we've heard from him. And here's what's interesting. Before they saw and so they believed. This guy believed, so then he saw. Because halfway along the way, his friends came to him. And they said, your son is healed. He's better. And he said, when was he healed? And they said, oh, I think it was like around one o'clock. And he said, that's exactly when Jesus told me to go. Guys, this is for real stuff. I remember in my 20s, I started to learn how to hear from the Holy Spirit. And I moved into the neighborhood, and through a book I read about a guy named Reese Howells, God put me under conviction while I was a broke missionary, broke, starving, screenwriting artist, 
who was making very little money, he told me, you can't ask anybody for money no matter what. God stuck me in a place of crisis. And so I was taking a screenwriting class and I, the, the way I paid for the screenwriting class was I worked for this guy and I woke up one morning and I didn't have any money. And God said, you can't even ask your roommate. All I needed $2 to get on the L. He said, you can't even ask your roommate for money. He said, I want you to get ready. I want you to act like you have money in your pocket and I want you to walk to the L. And so I started walking to the L and right when I got there, God said, go take your ATM card and put it in the ATM. Now, just an hour before this, I had called my bank and, and tried to cash a check and, and they, they let me put the check in. I didn't call. I walked to the bank. I put the check in and they said, this won't be available for another seven days. So I absolutely knew I didn't have any money in the bank. And I put my card in the ATM, hit 20 bucks, and boom, $20 came out of the ATM. I was like, wow, God. I, I wish I had put in a, punched in a $1,000. But, um, and, and so I got on the L and I went. Well, a few weeks, weeks later, same things, same job broke once again and I, I needed to go to the L and so I walked to the L as if I had money in my pocket and I stopped at the ATM I put my card in the ATM I punched in the $20 and no money came out and so I, I went to the L and I was just standing there God what, what am I supposed to do and right while I was standing there a lady from our church a friend of mine got off the L, walked up to me, talked to me. And she said, what are you doing here? I was like, oh, I'm just standing here. And she's like, do you need money for the L here? And she gave me $5 to get on the L. Well, two or three weeks later, one morning, the Holy Spirit tells, to, tells me, uh, on your way to work today, I want you to go to the grocery store, buy whatever you want, and use, the, uh, use what's left over to get on the L. And so I walked over to Western, and I walked into the jewel. I got all the, all the groceries that I wanted, went up to the cashier, handed them my card. They ran it through, declined. I was like, dang, what am I supposed to do? I had to, I had to be in Evanston at the stadium at Northwestern. It's about a 45-minute walk from where I lived at that time. I had no money for the L, and so I just started walking towards it. I was like, God, am I crazy? I thought you told me to go after this. And as I was walking, I passed another grocery store. It was just a small grocery store. And I thought, okay, okay, I'm going to do what God told me. I went in, got all the groceries that I wanted, walked up to the checkout line, handed them my credit card. They ran it through, declined. I'm like, oh, thanks. I go outside. I'm yelling at God now. I'm walking down the street yelling at God. I probably look like a crazy person. I was like, God, I'm doing what I told you, what you told me to do. I'm living the way you told me to live. Why am I always broke? You said if you give to the poor, you give to God and he will pay you back. I'm walking down the street. I'm not just talking about today now. I'm talking about my whole life. God, I am obeying. I'm going where you told me to go. Why am I broke? Why don't I have what I need? And it starts raining. And it doesn't sort of rain. It is 
pouring now and I'm getting completely soaked walking down the street, no umbrella, yelling at God. And all of a sudden I hear a honk and I turn around and there's a car and I can't even see who's in it. I walk over to the car and there's a friend of mine, Dick Merchner. I jump in the car. He's like, hey, Scott, what are you doing out in the rain? And I said, well, I'm, I'm walking to work. He's like, well, where do you work? I was like, up at the stadium. He's like, what? Up at the, that's forever away. What are you? And so he starts driving me. And I'm like, I can't ask for money. And then he turns to me and he says, Scott, are you walking because you don't have any money? Here's $20. And he hands me $20. And I, I drops me off at work with two minutes to spare. That day I go to the cafeteria. I buy what I want for lunch. And with the change, I take the L back home. Church, once you're born, you have to learn to walk. And for some of you, learning to walk today means you have to take the very first baby step. There's maybe a place in your life right now where you need to trust God. Maybe it's something you've read recently in the scripture and you know you're supposed to obey it, but you're scared to because it doesn't make sense to you. Um, maybe it's something you're supposed to believe about yourself that you read in the scripture, but you can't because it doesn't make sense. Or maybe some of you are starting to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit leading you like, like was it happening to me back then? Asking you to let the Holy Spirit interrupt you during the day. Teaching you how to pray a specific prayer. Maybe God is telling you, from now on I want you to lay hands on sick people and pray that they would be healed. All of this starts with baby steps. Because once God gets the born again project going, it needs to learn to walk. And here's the thing. People that learn to walk, people that learn to trust, the royal officials who do what Jesus said, and when they do it, they see their son healed, those become obedient followers of God who will do the justice, who will do economy the way God does it, even when it doesn't make sense, who will do their sex life the way God does it, even when all the culture isn't doing it that way. We'll do money the way God wants them to do money. We'll do power the way God wants them to do power. We'll do life the way God instructs us to do life. Church, if we're going to see the kingdom of God birthed in our lives and birthed here in Rogers Park, we're going to need to be born again. And we're going to need to walk.